1: Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing?
0: over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. They pretty much were almost eradicated off the North and South Island because of humans. Now, today there are 32 predator free islands off New Zealand where Tuatara are thriving and living. What can they teach us?
2: Right, and when we think of it, there's obviously like lots of snakes and there's a ton of species of lizards and even a fair amount of crocodilians but there's that single one tuatara branch
0: many species are in crisis and need your help join the movement at allcreaturespod.com welcome to the all creatures podcast this is chris
2: and i'm angie
0: coming to you from new zealand we're recovering a special species today from where i'm living
2: So special indeed. I had never heard of it. And Chris told me a few weeks ago about it. And I said, can you spell it for me? (laughs) And of course, he graciously did and sent me some information on it. And I fell in love this week with the Tuatara. Am I I Mm -hmm. saying it right? Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: I've been wanting to do this one for a while. I just haven't bugged you. Because, I mean, I asked my son, Rourke. I said, hey, you know, what species do you want to cover? And we've covered a couple that he's mentioned. But he was like, I really want to talk about Tuatara. And I wasn't in New Zealand at the time. I was trying to get back here, you know, as quickly as I could. And I was waiting until I got back here and then was able to go and learn more about them, go in their native habitat, see a few, one in the semi-wild in a protective habitat, and then also uh, on exhibit. So they are amazing, 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 very unique creatures.
2: So unique, Chris. That's what I just... I. It just kept blowing my mind over and over with the facts that it's basically like a living fossil in New Ze- native New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And just, it, it's just, its physiology and anatomy is just incredible and very unique from any other reptile that we've covered.
0: It is extremely unique. And it was just so last week we did taper, which was a, they called a living fossil. <laughs> and yes. And I now we're going that even longer. Yeah. Now we're even mm-hmm. going further back in natural history
2: way, way back. And I know our fans out there that are herpers and love reptiles are like, come on, Angie, how did you not know about the tuatara? I didn't. And I am sorry that I did not know about this cool creature sooner. And so hopefully everyone listening to the podcast today will fall in love with the tuatara and uh, hopefully go visit our show notes and or follow us on social media to learn more throughout the week.
0: Yeah, I mean this is a these things were living right beside dinosaurs. They survived all the mass extinctions. We'll, we'll talk about their their evolution history cuz it's very interesting, especially here in, here how they got here in New Zealand and survived. But they're the last survivors of an order of reptile. Now, when we get to description, they kind of do look like a lizard, but they are not a lizard. They're related to lizards way down the tree, but they are not a lizard. They're not
2: classified right, that, as lizard. Yeah. That's what That was was really bizarre to me as I was diving in deeper about their lineage and I, calling them – I had to like almost bite my tongue to not call them a lizard because mm-hmm. we talk a lot about iguanas on this podcast and other reptiles that fall more into the, like the quote unquote lizard category. But the tuatara does not at mm-hmm. all.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm -mm. Yeah. Speaking of that, so you you did say, mention our show notes. I I just want to give a plug for our our website and been updating it, working with Dan. If you want to go, we've redone the category. So if you go to our website, go to the top, there's the episodes bar. You can click on it. You can go. We have it broken down by, we have all of our episodes. Then we have mammals, reptiles amphibians birds and then we have marine and primates and then our interviews all of our interviews so you'll they're easier to access so you can go and look at some of our back episodes and it makes it easier for you to go and i just like i texted you (laughs) you did it was so
2: cute (laughs) and i just (laughs) was like like, you're like Ange. wow we've done a lot (laughs) (laughs)
0: We have done a lot in three years. Like I go back and I mean, Susan Smith, the interviews are the ones that just blew me away. All of these experts that we've talked to, just the knowledge base that we have, the knowledge that's free for anybody to go and listen and learn and then share, you know, our little tagline, uh, all this information. I mean, Dr. DeMuth, we talked about history of the Arctic, one that we didn't really talk about. I mean, I always go back to Stephanie Arney. I'm just looking at this. Marina are intrigued by iguanas with Chris. But Angie, then I went and I looked and we did our reptiles. We've had the alligators, the Galapagos tortoise, the Komodo dragons. We've done a, f- a few, not many, Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. 10, 12. This is our 13th reptile. <laughs> Guess how many amphibians we've done? One, two. Let's see. Hellbender, Pacific Gecko, Axolotl, Poison Dart Frogs. We've done four. We need to and do four. more okay. amphibious. It's,
2: well, this <laughs> we is good, though. It's more. like it's all about checks and balances. So it's showing yeah. us where we need to dive a little bit deeper. Uh, and uh, how many birds have we done? Probably more 16. than that. More than four. <laughs> 16. Yeah, 16. Okay. Yeah.
0: We've done like 90 and, oh, mammals. Oh, thought-
2: yeah, well, I mean, that, that is our expertise, but we, we, we're getting better at things with feathers and scales, yeah. I hope, and, yeah. and that's why we need to inspire more people that want to study them as well, so they can help be exactly an exactly. expert on this podcast. And speaking of that, Chris, isn't there also a tab for just the, the kid podcasts? Yeah, at the
0: top, so if you go to the kids, and I know we just released Your Boys last week. And we go and yeah, they all were the... brilliant
2: per usual.
0: <laughs> yes, the kids' podcast. I
2: played it for him in the car as we were driving to visit my mom in Southern Florida this weekend, and they were so cute listening to it. Xander kept saying, "My voice doesn't sound like that," and, and Zach was like, <laughs> "Yes, it does." <laughs> and then it's Zach like, was uh... an- Zach was like answering the, his own question, or my questions before he. Uh, it was just so funny. He's oh, like, "Sarcus," it looks the crocodile looks like a sarcosuchus. <laughs>
0: Oh, he's so cute. And if we ask how old he is. He's like, not...
2: I'm four.
0: <laughs> Just...
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. fun. So if you know if any adults listening to this or um, kids, if you want to be interviewed on the podcast and teach us all about your favorite animal, send us a Facebook message or an email.
0: And again, if they're interested, they, they can email you at allcreatureskidspod at gmail.com. So I have it on the, I put it on the last one the email on, on the last kids episode on the show notes, you just click on it. It should be there. So if you're interested, but really quick, the website is made possible by all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Marsha. Thank you this week. Uh, joining us on Patreon. Uh, she upped her pledge each week or each month. It just means a lot to us. It, it helps us uh, do that. Helps pay for the podcast. Cause we have to pay for the bandwidth that we use pod all these things. So Thank you so much. It just, you know, it it just pushes us that much more to keep doing what we're doing.
2: And also, don't forget that you can support us on iTunes by giving us a five-star review. Uh, And we haven't had any of those recently. So make my day and help us out uh, and give us a great review. We'd really appreciate it. And I want to give a huge shout out to Jarenia from Texas who sent us a lovely email just discussing how much she loves the podcast and it just really made my day when I read it in in the inbox and it's stuff like that that keeps us, Chris and I, keeps us motivated and going to bring you all of this awesome material. So your kind words really do mean a lot and we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, you
0: lo- love those emails. It's just uh, it, it's just nice that we can help inspire people and, and provide, like we said, this free education, all these resources for you. You know, again, on our website, allcreaturespod.com. Uh, just go there, check it out, and then let us know what you think. You know, we're I, I still working with Dan. on getting a search option and some other things, but uh, it's coming along really nicely. And each week on the the episode page, Angie, I'm trying to embed youtube videos in there so you go in there and there's a brief description of the animals and pictures and then some cute videos like i had baby tapers last week uh, so
2: cute oh yeah. melt my heart oh my goodness. yeah 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 so we will have two
0: ataras this week describing them i told you because i did take the boys or I, I did take my oldest to go see the the godzilla versus king kong yeah mm-hmm. he had a great time with it 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 does kind of look like Godzilla marine iguana-ish. But again, this isn't a lizard, but it looks like one.
2: Sure. when I first pulled the picture up because yes, I was living in the dark, shame on me, <laughs> before this week prepping for this podcast, and my first thought was yeah, an iguana almost is how how is what was my first instinct. Because a tuatara is green, gray, olive brownish in color and it has spines on the crest of its back. Uh, they're pretty short in comparison to, I would say like an iguana. But when I see that, I just think lizard, iguana ish type of, uh, species. But that is once again, definitely not true. And, but there are several differences from iguanas. Like their tails have more spine. The Tuatara tail has more spines in it than an iguana. And, the overall uh, size is, is much, much smaller than an iguana, um, wouldn't you say, Chris?
0: Yeah, they're, I mean, the length up to 31 inches or 80 centimeters uh, can weigh up to three pounds, 1.3, one and a half kilograms. So they're not huge. They're definitely not huge, but they're not tiny lizards either. So they're like a medium sized, you know, how I would put it. Like, definitely. The, it would definitely be bigger than your hand, right? Like you would have to hold it with two hands, but not like a massive iguana where it's like, oh, this thing's really hefty. They're just they're, right. they're just unique. They're just a unique yeah, and, animal.
2: Mm-hmm. And there definitely is a little sexual dimorphism because in size, the males are going to be a little larger. But they're are spines, those crested spines that run basically from on the back of the head and that run all the way down the neck and the spine and into the tail as well.
0: Just very unique, and, and definitely you want to check out the picture on the show notes or go to the website. Again, I'll have some videos
2: embedded in there; you can watch them. Yeah, definitely better looking than Godzilla. Yeah, for <laughs> and sure. and honestly, much better looking than a marine iguana. I love marine iguanas and the physiology with them. They're they're of course a very specialized uh, iguana as well. But yeah, I think they're cute. I would definitely put tuatara in the cute reptile category. Right, yeah, they are. But they I, are. I, I never worked with two towers, obviously, because well, I'd never heard of one until, mm. until a few weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but I did, I did have the chance to work with several iguanas, and I just love their personalities, mm-hmm. uh, Topeka and Piccadilly. So yeah, they're a lot of fun.
0: The reason too is Angie's because they're only found in New Zealand, right? So you know. I think a few zoos now have them outside. I know San Diego zoo was one of the the first outside of New Zealand to get them, but Mm -hmm. this is a reptile that survived the, a few mass extinctions, but lived in New Zealand for 80 million years. So we'll, we'll talk about the history here in a minute, but that is their range. So they were, they were living in both the North and South Island. And let me tell you, it's, it's fall here. It's getting colder. It's, it gets chilly. And I'm in the North Island near Auckland. But the South Island, I mean, it is freezing cold down there. You know, you get down to Dunedin, like that's the tip. It's sub-Antarctic temperature sometimes. It is so freezing down there. And this reptile lives and thrives, you know, off the South Island now.
2: It's crazy. So, back, I know. Uh, back number one. Well, I think we're up to already back two or yeah. uh, three of why... The- the tuatara is so crazy and cool okay keep going
0: yeah so they <laughs> okay so you find them both on the north and south island so there's this reptile living in this this cold climate or cooler climate and they were surviving for millions of years until humans so the polynesian explorers that came about 700 years ago which, who eventually became the maori culture down here they brought with them rodents and i'll talk about them them in a minute but that started the Tuatara decline because the rodents just feasted on Tuatara young and eggs. And so they pretty much were almost eradicated off the North and South Island because of humans. Now, today, there are 32 predator-free islands off New Zealand where Tuatara are thriving and living. So they they go and and I've been pushing this in social media. I'll talk about it more here in a minute, but talking about on the mainland, there are sanctuaries that have predator proof fencing or pest proof fencing that Tuatara's now live in. And so I, one I went is Sanctuary Mountain. Uh, I didn't see any Tuatara there. It's the largest, they, they claim the largest acreage of predator free or predator proof fencing, you know, in the world. There's two atara there at mm-hmm. the Kiwi House wow. that I went to. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. They had two atara and didn't see Kiwi at the Kiwi House, which still baffles me. cracks cracks me up. They're all in the back; <laughs> you couldn't see them. But they want to keep
2: you guessing. Like they want you got to keep coming back, right?
0: <laughs> you go to the Kiwi House; you should see a Kiwi. But out of the the five exhibits or whatever, <laughs> there, there was no. They're all in the back. Uh, it's like San Diego Zoo. Growing up, at San Diego Zoo as a kid. I always went in the Kiwi exhibit and I never saw one for years and years and years. Every time I went to San Diego Zoo, I'd go to that little building. I still see it near Bear Canyon, I think. And there was never a Kiwi in there. Like I never saw a Kiwi. The first time I saw a Kiwi was like two years ago when I first moved here.
2: But see, so. I kind of love that because anybody who's done a lot of wildlife viewing mm-hmm. in the wild, whether mm-hmm. from a whether you're a photographer or a researcher or just for leisure, knows that it is not always that easy to see the animals, right? Sometimes you're no. going for days. Yeah. Me, I've never, I've been to Africa three times. I've never seen a leopard. We all know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. So I, you know, I like a little cat and mouse. I like a little, a little hard to get, right? As far as <laughs> not making it easy, it's more realistic. And so true, true. And so, of course, I'm a big fan when accredited zoos do these awesome exhibits that mimic the Mm -hmm. habitat uh, that the animal would live in. And a lot of times they camouflage and you just can't see them. And that is, or you have to try really, really hard. And that's part of it, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's very true. It's you, very
2: true. I, I know, Chris, I believe in you. The next time you go to the Kiwi house, I believe that you will see a Kiwi. And you can come put on. It on social media and tell us all about it. <laughs>
0: yeah, drive down there. Well, I know Jesse here. Jesse goes, you know, Jesse's the big bird nerd. And, um, you yeah, know, him and I go out birding. He goes out in the evenings in certain parts of New Zealand and pay, plays Kiwi calls. And he he had, he's seen, I think the, the big browns have come up to him. You know, playing the mail calls, and he actually had one peck him. So <laughs> he was like, "Dang, it hurt!" You know, well, that's he's what he's just standing at. there. Yeah, so he's like, "That's what you get for <laughs> fooling me." You know, um, but I will, I will. Yeah, that's kind of on my bucket Cute. list is to go see kiwis in the wild. Yeah, but tuatara's why care? I mean, a critical reptile. I mean, reptiles are critical to our ecosystems, right? Well,
2: and Chris, the tuatara is. The only reptile in its class or order on New Zealand, yeah. right? Like everything else are more in the lizard category as far as in the world, Angie. In the world. It's the
0: last oh. survivor of that order in the world. Yeah, that's nuts. nuts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But the Tuatara's ecosystem role uh is gonna be more of an insectivore, uh, taking care of those unwanted. Insects and its role in the food chain, it's a little bit towards the top because it can be carnivorous and eat other lizards and birds and eggs and things like that. Uh, but it can also be preyed upon too. So it has a lot of links if you think of the food chain or the food web as well, uh, which is really important in New Zealand that doesn't house a ton of of animals, right? In general, mm-hmm. there's not that many species of lizards that are native to
0: yeah. New Zealand. No, no. I mean, it's what well, we have over like 110 species of lizards and the tuatara and some skinks and geckos. But remember, Angie, New Zealand is such a unique biome. It is just, a, it. it's incredible down here. If you've been following us on social media, you know, on Instagram, All Creatures Pod, or on Facebook, you know, I've been going out and shooting some videos and sharing those. Of some special places here, but remember the only land mammal are the bats, which we covered like a year ago. The short-tailed bats; those are the native native land mammal. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now the history of New Zealand. The islands of New Zealand have been separated geologically for eighty-five million years. So the, the there was a supercontinent, Gondwana, Gat, where New Zealand split off. So you had whatever animals were on there which we don't you know mammals probably weren't even there yet the bats probably came over later from like australia or something there was no native or early mammals there was you know some birds or early dino- there was dinosaurs obviously until the mass extinction but that some birds and then this and then these reptiles which tuatara was part of so a lot of birds and lizards and tuatara and and other animals that lived here did not have any pressure from predators, mammalian predators. When we talk predators for them, you're probably talking some raptors, so right or bigger birds. Like I don't know exactly what the moa ate, but the the moa was one of the largest birds ever until it got knocked off by the elephant, uh, the elephant bird, right, Madagascar. Mm-hmm. But you had the moa here that until a few hundred years ago. And then you had the Haas eagle, which was here until a few hundred years ago. So you had this complete unique biome. It's very much like Madagascar. Just we don't have as many crazy mammals, you know, the lemurs and stuff. It's just, you know, whenever I think of separate biomes, I always think of New Zealand and Madagascar. And, of course, Australia is its own oof, category.
2: Right. Yeah, now, no when fossils.
0: the... Pol- or Fusas. Yeah.
2: <laughs> fusa. You say Fusa, I say Fasa. Let's fasa, call the yeah, things off. Yeah, the Fusa.
0: Yeah. Now, New Zealand was discovered by Polynesians, like I said, around 700 years ago. They came here and settled and then they become the Maori. When they settled, they brought Pacific rats. The Kiorta. And I think that's if I'm saying that right. This is the third most widespread species of rats in the world. What's interesting about these rats and i did a little digging on them they evolved in southeast asia but now you find them throughout the pacific on all these islands new zealand to easter island off chile to hawaii and so these rats have actually shown the migration of the polynesian culture as they have settled the pacific over the last few hundred years. It's amazing, actually. It's actually kind of really cool because these rats can't swim over long distances. Now, maybe some vegetative rafts, possibly on some islands, but not like this. So they've actually used them as markers of the Polynesian culture. The downside of that is these rats have started or have really finished on some places a wave of devastation against native species birds, reptiles, amphibians. So these rodents, these specific rats in New Zealand, have caused some extinctions. We know that. Almost wiped out the tuatara. So they were primarily one of the main reasons the tuatara are not found on the mainland anymore because of these rats. And, you know, I, I wanted to give a plug. If you go back to our episode 49... The Million Dollar Mouse Program with Theo Van Nort, where we talk about the Antipodes Islands, the subantarctic. you know, you're talking albatross, some very unique, the Antipodes parrot, I think it is, or canary. It's like a small parrot. They have them here at the Hamilton Zoo. Very unique species there that mice and rats were introduced and, and wiped out all these birds. And it was a shipwreck, you know, that they came off of. Very few people have, have set foot on that island, but it just shows the devastation and how New Zealand and, and other governments are working to eradicate these mice in some of these islands. So in New Zealand, when the Polynesians settled, so for the last 700 years, half of all vertebrates have been lost and uh, even it's species crazy. of invertebrates of New Zealand. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because of rats, and then the Maori people, like you know, they did cause the extinction of the moa, which in turn led to the extinction of the host eagle, which was the largest raptor we we know of. So they they obviously were a cause, but then the Europeans came, and it just made things way worse, mm-hmm. way worse in the 18th century because they brought Norway rats they brought ship rats they brought cats stoats weasels ferrets we even know they introduced moose they introduced turkeys they've introduced (laughs) all sorts of these things to new zealand which have wrecked havoc with native wildlife and really quick history lesson angie europeans in new zealand The Dutch explorer Abel Tasman, that's where we get the Tasman Sea. He discovered New Zealand in 1642. You know, this is Europeans. I mean, the Maori Maori were already here. The Polynesians were already here. In the 1760s, the English started pushing into the Pacific. James Cook came to New Zealand in 1769. The 1840s, the British started colonizing New Zealand. So with that pressure of... You know, not only the Polynesians bringing it, but then when the Europeans came, of the species that we know of that have become extinct includes a bat species, at least 51 bird species, three frog species, three lizard species, freshwater fish species, and then plant species, and then countless invertebrates have all gone extinct. So you have all these pressures and I've got to give my hats off to New Zealand because... New Zealand's working really hard to try and eradicate these invasive species. So the goal is right now to be predator pest, pest free by 2050. And they're specifically targeting rats, stoats and weasels because they are the most damaging. So they're, they're putting bait out, they're trapping, trying everything they can to, to catch these predators and eradicate them from New Zealand. It's a little controversial. There's groups out there fighting it, which I, I don't agree with. I think it's they're way more destructive to the habitat than to, to to let live, you know, let things live. So, you know, one of the places I love is Sanctuary Mountain and Mangatatatari. I'm not saying it right. Jesse said it right for me last night when I saw him. But again, that's a place where... God, you walk in at Angie, the predator proof fencing, you go through it, and it's just like paradise. The birds are so loud. I saw the kaka, the, the, the big island parrots, the, you know, I had New Zealand fantails dancing around me, New Zealand robins, you know, always perching above me. It's
2: awesome. all
0: sorts, yeah, all sorts of native wildlife. It's just, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see. So New Zealand as a the society, the culture, the the government here is all trying to preserve native New Zealand, and it's something that I hope we can emulate around the world to preserve native habitat.
2: Yeah, it's really critical. I I, I mean, there's so many invasive species here in Florida. Oh gosh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I I you know maybe we need to take some lessons from uh, from some of the policies that are being implemented. Or attempting to be implemented in New Zealand because yeah, it's it's definitely not good for our local wildlife. Uh, we, no. the Burmese python, has been one that mm. of course we've talked out a lot about in the podcast here in Florida, but also the tegu, uh, and so I, I will say Florida uh, Fish and Wildlife are trying to put restrictions into uh, keeping uh, captive tegus in Florida, and I believe the goal, Chris, is to move tegas indoors in Florida. So if they are being housed outside to move them inside, um, and then to within, I think three years, maybe two to three years, uh, no longer breeding them here in Florida because tegus are a giant lizard, which we hopefully cover on this podcast because they're cool. They're big. Uh, but they're not native to Florida and they are, Wiping out wildlife along with the Burmese pythons and our poor little possums and raccoons and key deers and uh right, right. these small mammal reptiles and birds just can't catch a break
0: no, no, yeah, it's I mean even silver Springs has the what I forgot what, macaques, the old world monkeys that were released,
2: oh yeah, 60, yeah. 70 mm-hmm. years ago, I saw them <laughs> last time I. Went to Silver Springs to ride the glass, uh, the glass bottom boats, which is a really really cool experience because we saw manatees and all sorts of natural and all sorts of turtles. But yeah, seeing the macaques and the trees was. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's like, interesting to say yes, the least. Not native. Not native. No, not native. No.
0: Okay. I hope we have yeah, would die if we saw those here in New Zealand.
1: Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at
0: chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BDW, void, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. plus.
0: Okay, so the tuatara evolution, you know, obviously it's a reptile and reptiles there's about 12,700 species. So we're going to pick up our game, we'll do some more amphibians and reptiles to the mix and then always throw in birds here and there. It's always fun. The order like I said, this is the only species left from this order that dates back 240 million years. They moved, they were worldwide around 200 million years ago and were doing well until the last mass extinction. And then I think the Tuatara were the, the last remaining species of this order. And the order is Rhynchocephala, meaning beakhead. So that's way up there. So they're... Again, they're not lizards. They're close relatives to lizards and snakes, but not classified as a lizard. Now, the family is Sphenodontidae, which means wedge teeth, which we'll get to. The teeth's pretty cool. The genus is Sphenodon. Again, obviously the only one. The species name is Sphenodon punctitus. Used to believe there was two species, but now they, with DNA And they've actually mapped the entire genome because this is such an ancient animal that they say, no, there's two variants. There are are subspecies, but there's only one species of Tuatara.
2: Yeah, Chris, it's just really impressive looking at the cladogram showing the relatives and how there's just that single branch of the Tuatara away from lizards, snakes, crocodilians, birds. I mean way out there. Right, and when we think of it there's obviously like lots of snakes and there's a ton of species of lizards and even a fair amount of crocodilians, but mm-hmm. there's that single one tuatara branch. It's just incredible.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that's what makes them unique and when you see them you're just like wow, you know. It is like you're looking at a dinosaur, but we know reptile origins, reptiles came first. So they came about 312 million years ago, and we've said this before, any reptile we talk about, Hylonomus was the first reptile. It was a small lizard, gave rise to the the two lineages, the Archaeosaur, Morpha, which became crocodiles, birds, the, the dinosaur types out of there. Then the Lepidosaur, oh, this is all for Xander, Lepidosaurs, <laughs> lizards and their kin, and the Tuatara order emerged about 240 million years ago. Dinosaurs didn't emerge until another 10 million years later. So 230 million years ago is when we start seeing dinosaurs. Now the Tuatara, they, they do call it this ancient animal because it does have many of the characteristics from around that time when they emerged. So many of the characteristics... They they look very similar, so they haven't changed a lot. Now, of course, they have evolved. One of the the most curious things that we'll talk about is how tuatara survive in the cold. Where yes,
2: please, I'm dying yeah. to get there. It's so I know,
0: I know. So you know that that is a, an, an adaptation it has made to be able to survive in New Zealand, but you know the rest of. Their order became extinct about 60 million years ago. Like I said, with that last mass extinction, the Tuatara is the only survivor. So again, a why care? I mean, this is one of it is the last of the order. And what we can learn from them, that's why their DNA has been sequenced, the genome sequenced. They want to learn genetically how they survive in cold weather, genetically how they differ from other reptiles and lizards. Again, you know, it does benefit humans. It's not just just learning facts. It actually does benefit humanity. We when we understand this stuff, then we can look into medicines and other things that can benefit us. So, so many reasons to care about this this wonderful creature.
2: Yeah, Chris, it's always a sign that it's important genetically somehow to humans if the DNA is sequenced. <laughs> I know. It's expensive I, and yeah. time-consuming and, you know, I doubt the marine iguanas dna is sequence. i don't know that 100 i'd have to yeah. i'd have to look but uh so that's always a sign too that yes that scientists care about it and want to learn more because mm-hmm. it's just so amazing yeah
0: yeah i mean I, I still go back to taper last week how did this animal survive for tens of millions of years not changing much at all you know for 20 30 million years it, it hasn't changed much and it survived just fine here's a species even longer for 60 million years that hasn't changed a lot it's adapted some to its environment, but it, it it's, it's just found a, a strategy that works, and it works right great. Until,
2: until the rats come in. Yeah,
0: right? <laughs> the rats came and they said, "It's over, buddy." Like we said, rodents make up forty percent of all mammals on earth. But then so. the
2: humans came in, and the humans are like, "Hey, no, we can we can fix this. We can yeah. help yeah. save this and stop this." And that's what's you know that's what we're trying to do here in Florida with a lot of our invasive species. Uh, and I just I, I hope that we can do it. Yeah.
0: Now some fun facts we talk about some of these characteristics. First of all, long long lifespans, over 90 years. Yes, Chris,
2: this, yeah. This blew my mind, right? When when I was like, how did I not know about the tuatara? I think I was it was more like how did I not know these amazing facts. Mm-hmm. It it like like we'll talk about here in a second how it is, is adapted to living in cooler weather. But yes, also how long it lives because I mean, up over 100 years?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, like the genetics things, they're looking, these things don't get many diseases. They're pretty disease resistant. So looking at the genetics, you know, can show us how, why, what, why is their immune system so resistant to certain things? And right. again, we can learn
2: so much. Well, Chris, for humans, from a reproductive point of view, uh, as our fertility is dropping and things like that, there was a male Tuatara- in the South Southland Museum, to became a father for the first time at drumroll, please. <laughs> yeah, hundred and eleven. Oh God! Okay. <laughs> so, so there's still hope
0: for some of us. <laughs> oh I my have goodness! Two
2: kids, but yeah, I was gonna say really? I, I'm I, I'm feeling the age here with my yeah, kids, but but, uh, but yeah, Henry, good old Henry. I yeah. mean, he fathered. I think it's they said eleven babies. I yeah. mean so and the female she was she was a spry young little tuatara she was only in her 70s. Oh god. <laughs> That's awesome. That's <laughs> but awesome. But still, I mean things yeah. like that are, are are really interesting from a physiological point of view is, and how do they how do they do that? And researchers do know that their slow metabolism helps them live that long, but yeah, still there's many many mysteries when it comes to reproductive health or like you, Chris mentioned mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, their immune health and things like that. No.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's amazing little creatures. I mean, some of the things too, their characteristics, like the, talk about physiology, like their tail, they lose their tails. They can regenerate, which I know we've been studying some of that. Like, especially when we talked about axolotl and some of those species, but mm-hmm. regenerative medicine is a big thing today. So we can learn that from them. But some of the things I found was cool was they don't have any ears, but they can hear. So they don't have any ear holes or eardrums, but they, they they have very primitive hearing. Uh, they, they can smell and detect prey. And then they have this third eye on the top of their head.
2: Oh, yeah. I paused and read about that for yeah. a while. I went yeah. down that rabbit hole. I was like, what?
0: Well, I thought it was cool because it, it has a third eye with... It literally has a retina, lens, nerve endings, but they don't use it to see. And it's under the skin, right? It covers with it's covered with like pigment and some scales and stuff.
2: Yeah, it's it's on the top of their head. It's bizarre. And- <laughs> it's so
0: bizarre.
2: And it doesn't stick out like an eye. If you just look at a photo of them, you can't really. You can't see it or anything like that because, as Chris mentioned, the photoreceptors and things like that are under the skin. But this unique area is sensitive to light, and researchers, once again, aren't really sure why they have this neuronal tissue, extra neuronal tissue on top of their head uh, that acts like a retina, but they think it's to help with sensing circadian rhythm or the seasonal cycles, things like that. But, But truth be told, we don't know, and that's why it's so fascinating the study
0: yeah yeah and for all of us in the southern hemisphere we know our, our days are getting shorter so while your days get longer up there in the north down here it's, it's days are getting longer shout out to Chantel over there in melbourne so before we jump into body metabolism because i know you're itching to get there the teeth angie again primitive ancient this thing is so unique and different so they have a double row of teeth on their upper jaw a single row of teeth on the lower jaw, their teeth don't regenerate, but what's different compared to other reptiles are these teeth are fused to the jaw bone. So instead of like, you know, our teeth can fall out or, you know, we have uh, what, roots and stuff like that and canals mm-hmm. and all that fun. So I'm not a dentist. So, but these things are fused directly to the bone of the jaw. So very like archaic yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's just very unique so and it does wear down so good old henry there who's 111 which is amazing when their teeth do wear down they, they they can still survive because they eat softer prey like worms and stuff so they don't you know not the hard insects
2: no but clearly those worms still helped henry be fertile (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it did. A lot of nutrients in there. He's like, I don't need no arthropods. I'm going <laughs> to eat some worms <laughs> and hang out with my 70-year-old girlfriend. Yeah, that's right. Oh, my that's goodness. Right. Uh, it's incredible.
0: Uh, all right, body metabolism.
2: Yes, Chris. Well, as we mentioned with their longevity, they have a very slow metabolism. And with this slow metabolism – comes some really interesting temperature adaptations. So the tuataras can tolerate a much lower temperature than any reptile that I know of. And they'll even shut down their metabolism for the most part and hibernate during the really cold winter months. And so anybody who has worked with reptiles knows that they typically need a lot of heat, like heat lamps or heat rocks, if you're caring for them. uh, And tuatara are different. In fact, the tuatara prefers a temperature of 60 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit, which for me is like sweatshirt weather because i live in Mm -hmm. florida so it starts feeling chilly at about 70 degrees they that's what they love and if it gets warmer like 76 degrees fahrenheit the tuataras do not like it and they'll start to show signs of distress and if it gets into the 80s like 82 or higher they can even perish like they do not do well And then it's just so bizarre compared to most other reptiles that love to bask in the sun and and need that, and that he is just critical for their metabolism. So when they are hibernating, the body temperature can range from 41 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And most reptiles in general, they're going to be somewhere around 70, 68 to 70. So it's this crazy. It's low crazy. body metem- yeah is this way low- cool. that's
0: way cold body temperature
2: <laughs> really really cold and yeah. of course once again that slows their metabolism down and mm-hmm. just uh it's just a fascinating adaptation to be able to live like you said in the south island and they do it and they do it well and they like it and it doesn't it's 45 degrees out fahrenheit the tuatara they're fine they're yeah. doing their tuatara things they're hunting there i mean like It's just, it's really unique.
0: Yeah, it's, I'll tell you what, living down here, I can get used to kilometers and meters and stuff like that. Like I I can do that. Still Fahrenheit to Celsius, it just really messes with my mind. So apologies, apologies to our international listeners, but you know, Celsius, that's like five to 10 degrees Celsius is their body temperature, which is crazy. And most other reptiles, it's their normal body temperatures around 20 degrees Celsius. Like that's just insane, Angie. That's that's just so unique. Well, and then I mean, it even goes back to marine iguanas. Remember we talked about when they they dive in the ocean, they can't go very long because they get too cold.
2: Sure. The, and they, yeah, I remember and they that. have to haul. Yeah, they have to haul out, and they're right around the equator, and they need to sun themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just it's 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 really fascinating, and I want to know more about how they do it on a, on a physiological scale, and I think that's what yeah. researchers are looking into. Right, 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 right.
0: Well, and then, I mean, to feed themselves, like you said, arthropods, earthworms, you've already said some small birds, frogs, lizards, native, you know, they had the weta, which is a cool, it's like a large cricket here, uh, That that's, it's about the size of a mouse, I mean, they're big, they get big, the giant wetas, but, it, and sometimes they, they do eat their baby young, so maybe we'll get, get to that, uh, it's, it's one knock against them, is <laughs> canopy cannibals, but... But other than that, you know, they, they eat anything that they can catch on the ground.
2: And Chris, a tuatara does eat less often than an, another reptile similar in size because of this low metabolic rate. So it doesn't have to eat as frequently. Right.
0: Yeah. And I mean, even when you were talking about the temperatures, I, we had a pretty warm summer. I guess climate change, too. You know, it's been a lot warmer. People have been saying down here. I mean, they, the, the Kiwis just die when it's in the eighties and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I, <laughs>
2: right. Yes. I yeah, can you're imagine, a California, you know, Florida boy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, in, in the, uh, was that 25 degrees Celsius or 30 degrees No, 30 degrees Celsius or, uh, when it gets upwards of over that, they just, it's so miserable for them. So I imagine for the two guitarists too, that, that aren't used to it. As far as what preys on them, you're looking at, you know, raptors, things like that. Uh, There were the larger birds, but now today you have all of the, those introduced species we talked about that have pretty much wiped them out. So looking at behavior, Angie, I, you know, Reptile behavior, it's always kind of fun
2: to to dive into to see what you learned. (laughs) I know. Well, That's where I wish I would have worked with a tuatara because whenever we cover iguanas, snakes, most reptiles I've worked with, so I really have a sense of their behavior and their personalities. Yes, reptiles do have personalities. Uh, If you've ever worked with one, you know that. It might not be as outgoing as your dog or as obnoxious as your cat. I love cats, but still, cats we all know cats are... (laughs)
0: Yes, yes.
2: But some of the things we do know about tuatara behavior is they are terrestrial, so they're on land. They're not typically found in trees or anything like that. And they're nocturnal, so they usually are going to come out and do their activity and hunting, foraging at nighttime. And tuataras are not the most social creature. They typically live by themselves uh, in a burrow, which they will defend from other creatures or other they might they might come across. But one fact that was interesting is they've been known to be, I don't know if social is the right word, but they've been observed mingling or cohabitating with birds. So on some occasions, instead of digging their own burrow to provide them shelter, they'll use the burrow of a seabirds. And then seabirds produce poop or guano, it's called, which attracts some of the invertebrates like beetles and spiders or crickets uh, that a tuatara will eat. But instead of saying thank you to the seabirds for their lovely guano, in return sometimes the tuatara will actually eat the eggs of the seabirds. Oh,
0: thank you. Uh, <laughs> okay, not a good place to. Hey, nest. they've
2: been around for tens of millions of years. They they have a they have a system, and I guess. Yeah. Uh, the seabirds. So it's not really, it's, it's not really mutual uh, relationship. It's definitely more, maybe a little bit more parasitic, if you will, Mm -hmm. (laughs) depending Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. how you look at it. But yes, Chris, that might be one of the reasons why they're hard for you to find when you're looking for tuataras in some of these uh, protected areas, because they're, if it's during the day, they're probably not active in, in their burrows.
0: Right. Yeah. Now, good old Henry, and what was his girlfriend's
2: name? Mildred.
0: <laughs> Mildred. <laughs> so, reproduction. What, what do we know about, you know, obviously probably eggs, right? Lay
2: eggs? Yes, Chris. But before the egg laying occurs, there has to be a little bit of courtship. And it's been reported that male tuatara's will hang out in outside of a female's burrow and just waiting for her to come out and hopefully to hopefully want to breed with, uh, to breed with him. And a male will often like do a display for the female where he makes himself look bigger by stiffening out his crest or like fanning out the skin around his necks. And she, basically she's saying, Hey, here I am. I look, don't I look big and awesome and all of that. And if the female thinks so, she'll breed with him. If not, she, she won't breed with him. But when a female does like the looks of a male spine uh, and decides to breed breed with him, uh, keep in mind, too, that in some typical reptilian fashion, the male doesn't have any external uh, genitalia. So uh, copulation occurs by basically the cloacas of the male and the female meeting, and that's termed a cloaca kiss.
0: Very romantic. I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yep, yep. And
2: and the breeding season is going to occur in uh, in New Zealand in midsummer or early autumn, so January to March. Mm-hmm. And then the eggs are going to be laid in the spring or summer, which is going to be your October or December. Okay. Okay. So males will breed every year. Uh, they'll hang out outside of a female's burrow, show off their spines, and then give them a cloaca kiss if they're lucky. However, the female will only breed every three to five years. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we get towards the end of reproduction, about their long, long generation intervals. And the reason this is with the female that she doesn't breed every year is because after the cloaca kiss, the female can store the male sperm for 10 to 12 months before laying her eggs in her burrow. and she'll wear she'll lay anywhere between one and 19 eggs. It just depends on the clutch size, but on average it's 10 if you will. And then Chris, once those eggs are laid, they incubate for another whopping 12 to 15 months (sighs) because the embryo will stop developing. It'll take a diapause during the winter months. And so if you do the math, she stores sperm sperm for 10 to 12 months, lays the eggs, eggs are there for 12, 15 months, depending. So a hatchling that's gonna be hatched has basically been been in conception, if you will, for up to two years. Does that math add up, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So reptiles are so bizarre. It's, <laughs> I know. We need a reptile
2: reproduction expert on. I don't know if there is a reptile reproduction expert.
0: Well, maybe that's a question we can ask for, for Dr. Steen. I remember we had him on way back, episode 42. So, you know, doing a lot of snake yeah, conservation. Yeah,
2: he was a snake expert. Yeah.
0: But it, you know, we do know reproductively they can store sperm and, and keep reptilian sperm alive for years, year, up to five years, I believe, in some species, which is nuts. So, where in mammals, it's it's a few days, you know, a week, like, you know, depending on the species. So with the Tuatara, breeding takes place early in the calendar year, which is our summer spring. Lay eggs 10, 11 months later in the fall, winter. Then those eggs incubate for another year or two, year and a half, right? Year. Mm-hmm. So two years until you get babies and then she starts again. Like mm-hmm. that is a hard long interval for a reptile. That is why. Like wow, that's why we
2: should right. care? Yeah, yeah.
0: It's just you know, it's not like they can breed quickly. It's not. No, like they can and
2: then breed when you quickly. think about the invasive species, like the rats that steal their eggs, I mean, that's a long time for eggs to incubate—twelve to fifteen months—where yeah. they could be easily picked off by rats or other right. other predators.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And yeah, the so tuatara is known for the longest reproductive cycle of any reptile.
0: That's crazy! Wow. There you go. Another wow factor.
2: I know. And now similar to other reptiles that we've talked about in the podcast, such as alligators and sea turtles, the temperature of the nest where the eggs are incubated does determine the sex. And with tuataras, it's been found that just one difference in degree centigrade will change the sex of the clutch from all females to males. So higher temperatures, more males, which is a problem with global, change. global yeah. climate change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. With sea turtles, everything, right? Like it's just, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. But the little hatchlings, the tuataras, once they break out of their shells after being in conception for like two years, if you will, uh... They are on their own. Um, Mama tuatara, she's, she's tired. It's been two years. (laughs) She's got to go. She's got to go try to find another mate to perhaps breed again in Mm -hmm. the next year or two. Um, So she, she doesn't stick around to actually protect the eggs or the babies. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. on their own. And then they basically quickly must find food and start digging their own burrows for protection and, not be, as Chris mentioned, cannibalized by another adult. Yeah. Yeah. And Chris, what's also really important to consider as far as Tuatara conservation is their generation interval. So if these baby tuataras survive to be hatched and then they survive to adulthood, it takes between 10 and 20 years uh for tuataras to reach sexual maturity. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a long time to live and survive before you even pass, have the hopes to even try to pass on your genetics. Right.
0: Yeah. For a reptile. I mean, for a reptile, like most other species that we've covered on earth, there's no way it has been that long.
2: Yeah. The no longest way. reproductive yeah. cycle of any reptile and us, yeah. me being a reproductive and you, I knew you'd love yeah. that too. That's just so fascinating. And that's where I, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm so happy that you showed me the Tuatara light. Chris. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. I mean, we, we've had some people tell us like a couple of years ago to do them. I'm like, oh, we'll get to them. And now I'm like, oh, I'm so glad we covered them. So, yeah, conservation-wise, they are least concerned by IUCN, but they are protected. How protected is that
2: possible? Because well, they're living on the islands, okay? Yes.
0: So the population estimates around 60,000, but not more than 100,000, right? So they are increasing on these islands and in these protective reserves. So, but they are protected under New Zealand law. Strictly protected; they're a protected species here in New Zealand. So, I, you know, IUCN. It, it's like I know we again. Remember, they've got to they're classifying all these species. When you're talking, when we say critically endangered, that is major, scary. This species it, is almost gone. It, it's when you get in the hundreds. You know, cause I was trying to explain this to my boys the other week talking about this and you know, God bless Wyatt, the little six year old's mind. And he's like, I was like, yeah, buddy, there's only like a thousand left. He's like, but that's a lot, dad. And I'm like, no, no, that's not a lot. That is not a lot for a population. That's the entire population or even 300. He's like, well, that's kind of a lot. And I said, no, buddy, that's, that means they're almost gone. You know, trying to explain it to him. So 60,000 sounds like a lot, but again, the, geographically, New Zealand's very large and this was all over New Zealand, was a critical species in, in this habitat and there should be millions, but there isn't. And they're all mostly on these islands off the coast. So yeah, I mean, it at least it's a feel good story that that they are increasing, they are breeding on these islands. And there are protected places, in New Zealand's, you know, put a priority on them. So with that being said, who else is out there supporting two Ataras?
2: Well, Chris, I want to give a big shout out this week to San Diego Zoo and your old stomping grounds. Because here in the U.S., San Diego Zoo was the first institution outside of New Zealand to receive uh, Brothers Island to Ataras. Uh, and they were on a breeding loan and it was just a really big deal. It was like an honor for that to happen. And it was so important that uh, the New Zealand airlines at the time allowed the zoo staff to have the tuataras in in on the passenger plane with them, like in coach or yeah, I, I they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I doubt any zoo keepers were flying first class.
1: <laughs> but, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, the two towers were able to fly on, on the main in the main cabin uh because there's historically there had been a no animals rule before that, but they were like, no, this is a long flight, and we want to make sure we can care for them. And since in the San Diego San Diego Zoo has done a great job uh, breeding the tuataras, and uh, and they, they keep them in an off uh, away from the public in an off uh special housing area because that's how important they are, right? I, I wanted to say endangered, but I guess technically they're not endangered. And these tuataras at the San Diego Zoo are just coming to a breeding age, so they're going to start trying to think about breeding them, right? Because remember, they don't reach ma- sexual maturity until they're anywhere from 10 to 20 years old.
0: Well, yeah, and I want to give a shout out. It's near my sweetheart, Pip. I should have gone. Couldn't because of COVID and stuff. But the Chester Zoo in England, shout out to them. They're actually the first zoo in decades to breed tuatara outside of New Zealand. So back in 2016, they announced that they did have a tuatara born there. And I just kicked myself whenever I get back there and Pip and I go back to England to visit, I'll definitely get to the Chester zoo. That's one I should have, you know, I want, I was so close to it. And I just didn't get to go. I went to the Welsh mountain zoo, which was amazing little zoo in in Wales, but Chester zoo, an amazing institution helping preserve these species. So shout out to them and we'll link both zoos uh, websites in our show notes. And then just finally, you know, I'll, I'll put it, I'll put a link in our show notes, but the Sanctuary Mountain, just go visit it. It's one of my favorite places on earth. If you've been following us on Instagram, I'm going to keep it going. I go like every couple of weeks, just, it's like a 45 minute drive for me, but it's just, uh, I get there and I just, I'm like, this is what New Zealand should look like everywhere. And it's still, there's a lot of parts that look like this, but I walk through there and I'm like, I feel like I'm stepping back in time that this was a time before humans came and this is what it should awesome. look like. Mm-hmm. And it's just beautiful. The trees are beautiful. The birds. I, I, I'm i going to try to look for Tuatara. We'll see. I will die if I ever get to see one in the wild. Uh, they have Weta boxes. So we've seen Weta and other bird species. So shout out to them. But uh, amazing species, Angie. I mean, just amazing. We've gone back to back, archaic, ancient species. I think. I don't know how we're going to beat these last two.
2: (laughs) Well, I don't know if we will either, but we'll try or we'll find some other fun and cool facts to entice you and and help everyone learn more about conserving these animals that we love and share our planet with. They're just, it's just so fascinating. It's, uh, this whole week I was like, this is why I love this podcast. It's, It's because I had so much fun
0: learning always, always. Well, thanks for listening and stay tuned. We'll be back next week with the new species.
2: Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.
1: Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now,
2: you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at choppacasino.com.